Everybody, we got to get going. <laughs> Praise the Lord, seriously. This has been, for me and for so many that have come and shared with me, this has been such an encouraging series in the summer. And, and I'm so truly thankful. Um, the church has just been so welcoming and kind to all of our guests that have come. And, and man, just to hear the hearts of people that are serving the Lord in different places. So the, the series has been Look on the Fields, you know, and so we're, we're glimpsing into the work of the Lord in different places through the partners that we have in ministry all around the world. These are people that are an extension of our ministry here at First Baptist Church, and in, in so doing, we've, we've looked into places in Asia, we've looked into Europe, we've looked into the Middle East, and we've talked about the Caribbean, and man... It's a great big world out there, y'all. And, and there's people everywhere. And they all have the same problem. It's called sin. And there's only one solution, and it's Jesus Christ. And well, how exciting is it that we, from here, can be a part of influencing lives in all of those places and beyond? I mean, if that doesn't, as, as, as the old preacher once said, if that doesn't light your fire, then your wood's wet. I mean, there's just something wrong. So, listen, it's exciting, and it's a challenge, and a lot of people have shared with me how they have really enjoyed and been challenged by this, and I'm very thankful for that. So, with the idea of looking on the fields, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, came out of John chapter 4, obviously the emphasis is seeing, and seeing things that God wants to show us, and that's the title I gave for today, seeing things that God wants to show us. Can you see the things that God's trying to show you? And so God has shown us some things in these glimpses of ministry around the world over the last month and a half, but certainly I hope you understand that the purpose of having these glimpses into these ministries is not just to have a cool view. The purpose is that God wants to touch your heart, He wants to touch your life, He wants to affect how you will continue to behave as a result of what he has allowed you to see. It's all about spiritual vision. And it's critical to your life now. And so if you'll allow me, I just want to lead us in a prayer, focus our hearts, and we're going to jump into the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, I just pray that you would take your word and you would show us exactly what you need for us to see and hear and understand. Give us eyes to see give us the spirit of understanding as the disciples said when they came to the empty tomb sir we would see jesus so i pray that you would show me i pray that you would show each and every one of us exactly what you want me to do is there a change that needs to take place is there something that you're asking me to do as a result of the things that you've shown me. Lord, I pray that you would be honored through this time, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's get right into it. The first point in your notes is the importance of looking at the right things. Um, we're talking about the things that God will show us. We're talking about lifting up our eyes and looking on the fields and seeing some things spiritually. Uh, that's very important, and we're going to talk about why that is so important. You need to understand that visual images stimulate thoughts. And thoughts become actions. You see, the eye, it is said, is the window to the soul. You ever heard anybody say that? 
If you really want to see what somebody's all about, you spend time with them, and it's a lost art these days, but you look them in the eye. You ever talk to somebody and just look them right in the eye, and they get nervous? Why is it that we get nervous when people look us right in the eye? You know, we think, are you looking at my soul? I mean, you know, there's something about your eyes being the window to your soul. There is a connection, and we're going to see it biblically, between the eye and the heart and the soul, your life. It says in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 51, Mine eye affecteth mine heart. Jeremiah understood the things that he was seeing in the destruction of Israel. Man, he couldn't just see that and not have it pull on his heart. My eye affects my heart. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 9, Only take heed to thyself, notice, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which, notice, thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart, see the connection, all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. You go further down in that chapter in verse 21, 29, excuse me, and it says, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God and shalt find him, if, and thou shalt find him, excuse me, if thou seek him how? With all thy heart and with all thy soul. There's a connection. Psalm chapter 24, starting in verse 3. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And Jesus summarizes in Luke chapter 10 and verse 27 where he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, notice, with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind. God wants to ultimately get to your heart and your soul and what you see, what you put before your eyes affects that. Hopefully you see that connection, you see that association. In fact, why is that? Well, literally the way God made us. He's the author of life. This is next in your notes. Your physical senses are truly the gateways to your soul. You ever thought about that? I mean, the things that you see, are there, they're not just, it's not just that you can see physical things and not bump into them, okay? What you see makes it to the inside. What you hear makes it to the inside, Uh, Have you ever noticed that taste and smell bring back memories? Oh, that's working on your inside now, isn't it? And your touch, sensations, go straight to your soul. Do you know that there's a story, and we don't have time to look at it, in Genesis chapter 34 where one of the daughters of Jacob named Dinah was out in a field, and, and there was a pagan man, his name is Shechem, Shechem saw Dinah, thought she was beautiful, and the Bible says that that he took her and he laid with her. I would say that that's a Bible vocabulary for rape. And at the end of that story, it says about Shechem that his soul clave unto Dinah. Because there's something about physical touch that goes all the way to the depths of of your soul, and that's why sexual interaction is reserved only for marriage, where you are to leave your mother and father and cleave only to your wife. 
but your soul cleaves to a partner in such a situation. Next in your notes, God is ultimately interested in your soul. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, what happens to your body? Look, not all of us, you know, are blessed with all of this right here. I don't really know why you're laughing. But God's not as interested in the greatness or the deficiencies in your physical body as he is in your soul. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 28, and fear, it still bugs me you laughed. I'm finishing. Okay, so and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Don't fear them, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So look, many of us, especially as we age, we have physical struggles, and the body starts to waste away. I said to somebody younger recently, there's ever more people younger these days, if it weren't for the body, getting old is awesome. I love getting old. You know more things, you know more people, you have more wisdom, you see things better. Just the body, man. Just that thing. And God says, look, it's not that important. The soul is more important. That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, have the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So God is interested in eternal things. Things that perish, okay, do the best you can. (laughs) But things that are eternal, man, you gotta pay attention to those things. So it's particularly important to manage what you allow your eyes to see. Amen? Psalm 101, 2 and 3, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. How's that happen? Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Notice, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. You want to keep your heart perfect, young people? Watch what you put before your eyes. You want to keep your heart perfect, not so young people? Watch what you put before your eyes. That's what the Lord is interested in. We have to watch that. So Job said in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then shall I think upon a maid? And for a lot of us males, that is the weakness, isn't it, guys? That is the weakness. Make a covenant with your eyes. By the way, I'm not here to pitch a particular software package, but there are software packages that will monitor everything you do on that internet so that you can make a covenant with the Lord and with your eyes to not look on things you shouldn't be looking at. That's free. That's a good advice for you. But that's the importance of looking at the right things. I would ask you this question. If you've been here with us for the last six weeks or so, would you say that your heart and your soul have been affected as a result of seeing and hearing about what God's doing all around the world? through First Baptist Church's ministry partners? Man, what you allow your eyes to see affects your, that's why it's important. But we have a problem, and that's point number two, and we have to deal with it. Number two is the inability to look at the right things. So I didn't know the story, but Jensi shared how his mother had lost her vision. Can you imagine what it would be like if you could never see? What if you were born blind? Have you ever thought about that? 
Have you ever sat around with people, and I know this is weird, but I've actually been in conversations like this where, you know, we might ask each other, okay, if you had to pick that you had to be completely blind or completely deaf, which one would you pick? I know it's a weird thing. But have you ever thought about that? For me, I think I'd rather be deaf. I don't know. I'm sure that would be terrible too. But not being able to see, boy, that would be really hard, wouldn't it? And so if you were born blind, wouldn't you desire sight above all else? Well, interestingly, Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 10 comes across a man on his road to Jericho, and the guy's name is Bartimaeus. He's been blind from his birth. And that's when Jesus is passing by and and Bartimaeus hears and he cries out, Son of David, you know, have mercy on me. And the disciples are like, man, be quiet. We're busy. You know, real good ministry there. (laughs) Jesus says, bring him up. And in verse 51, Jesus answered and said unto him, notice, this is an odd question. Jesus asked the guy, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? (laughs) I mean, the guy's blind. He's crying out. Like Jesus doesn't know, oh, what do you want? And what's his answer? Man, I want to see. I want to receive my sight. What do you, I mean, what do you think I want? Well, seems obvious. But that story's not in there just to restate the obvious. That story's in there because the physical, and especially with the miracles of Jesus Christ, always illustrates the spiritual. The physical illustrates the spiritual. And this is where we're at. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 3 is really the place we're camping out for a minute. And we're going to talk about the seventh church in a list of seven churches. It's the church of the Laodiceans. Many of you are familiar with this. Maybe some of you are not. And so these are these letters that Jesus Christ writes unto the church, and the church of the Laodiceans is the seventh of seven churches. We believe that it actually teaches not just that this letter was written to a literal church in Asia Minor at that time, which it was, but that it also represents ages and periods of time throughout church history, the last of which is immediately before the rapture of the church, the time that really defines the time in which we live right now in the last days before the end. The letter to the Laodiceans is particularly important because it applies to us where we live. Notice what it says, Revelation 3.14. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, talking about Jesus Christ, right? The faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, he's watching, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, but so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So the church whose works don't demonstrate taking a stand on anything, they're just kind of lukewarm in the middle. The Lord says, yeah, I'm kind of getting sick to my stomach about that. And this is the time in history that is characterized by this church. It goes on in verse 17, and it says, now Jesus is, is quoting the people of Laodicea. Because thou sayest, this is what we say of ourselves, I am rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And Jesus says, well, thou knowest not, right, that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, oh, and blind, and naked. So this church is characterized by God, among other things, as 
having blindness. Spiritual inability to see the things that God is trying to show you. Can I just be real practical with you all today? Look in your notes. It's hard for us to see what God is showing us when we put before our eyes things that feed our flesh. Amen? It is hard for you, Laodiceans. We are all in that category, sadly. It is true. It's the time in which we live. We can't help it. It is hard for us to see the things God's trying to show us spiritually if we keep putting in front of our eyes things that feed our flesh. So what are those things? Well, things that make us feel important by being rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing, not even God. No need to trust the Lord for anything. We're always heaping up for ourselves reserves upon reserves and savings and backups on our savings and insurances upon insurances so that we never have to have faith. Typically, and this is typical, generally speaking, Laodiceans are blind. We can't see the things that we ought to see. We have an inability to look at the right things. We're like Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 10 where he said, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Again, the association, I withheld not my heart. See the eyes and the heart go together? From any joy. Whatever I wanted, that's what I'm going after. Boy, does that describe the day and time we live in. And as a result, you know what's happening now? Well, look in your notes, because the big, according to the big picture anyway, the church is getting in the way of people seeing God. The church, can I say, of Laodicea. The Laodicean selfish church. The Laodicean church that is interested in getting more and more and more for me and mine is blocking the way for other people to see God. I mean, this is really a tragedy. Now, it is interesting, the timing of this message. I didn't do this. Trust me. Y'all know what's coming around here tomorrow about 2.30 in the afternoon? Everybody knows, right? You've been watching the news. We're going to have 80 to 85% of a full solar eclipse. Our friends in Kansas City are getting, they're in the 100% zone, those guys. We've got a Kansas city here, right on. Full 100% zone. They, can't, they ran out of glasses at Walmart. They can't even get the, you know, the savior eyeball glasses. <laughs> so I recommend you don't look right at it, okay? Usually you have to tell a little kid, don't look at the sun, okay? A solar eclipse. And so the scientific world says, an astronomical wonder! Okay. I would say a spiritual picture. A spiritual picture. Because you know what that eclipse picture is, don't you? Some of you do. Let me tell us all. You know what that spiritual picture is? When the moon, I don't have time to prove it for you today, but I can, which is a picture of the church. Why is the moon a picture of a church? Because the moon is a dead planet. The moon has no light of its own. If you see the moon shining in the sky at night, it's only because it reflects the light of the sun. 
That's the church, y'all. We have no light of our own. If we're doing anything right, we're reflecting the light of the sun. And in Malachi chapter 4, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness is Jesus Christ at his second coming. So the sun always represents God, and the moon always represents the church. And when the moon blocks the light of the sun, what happens? The world goes dark. You know what God has given you tomorrow at 2.30 in the afternoon? Picture of Laodicea. That's what he's doing. It's a picture of Laodicea. And people can't see. So we, church, we bask in the sun and block the light to everybody else. So they can't get the light. In case you're interested, these things come around very infrequently, right, across North America. And so we've got one tracking all the way across the United States from the northwest to the southeast. You know when the next one's going to hit the United States of America from the southwest to the northeast? Seven years from now. Does that mean anything? I don't know. I just know when we talk about Bible stuff, the number seven pops up. It must mean something. I'm just saying, God's given us a picture. God's given us a picture. You know what? There is a solution, though. Listen, we are in the category of Laodicea, but we don't have to be Laodiceans. You know that, right? We'll go back to Revelation chapter 3 and notice verse 18. Jesus Christ himself is going to give us counsel. You ever, you ever need counseling? I do. <laughs> Who's the best counselor you've ever been to? Well, nobody's better than Jesus. So if Jesus is going to counsel us, I think we ought to pay attention, right? Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me, it's going to cost you something, gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be truly rich, if I might add the word truly, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And notice, anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. So church, we're going to go anoint our eyes with eye salve. But it's a spiritual now. You know, we're not going to the Vaseline factory or whatever. What is that all about? What does that really mean? Well, we're going to do what we do. We study the Bible. We're going to compare Scripture with Scripture, and we're going to look up on our computer every time the word ISAB shows up. And there isn't any. It's only here. Oh, but there is one and only one other place for the serious Bible student who finds there's only one place where somebody has their eyes anointed, right? And that's going to show up in John chapter 9. So that's going to give us our understanding. Again, it's a man born blind. We're making a spiritual application. Ask yourself this question. Have you been born again? And yet, since your spiritual birth, somehow you can't ever seem to be able to see what God's trying to show you? Now we have some context for John chapter 9. Jump down to verse number 6. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, Jesus, and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Can I remind you that every time Jesus speaks, he is God, it's the word of God. The word of God said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. And then he decided, you know what, I need to translate that for you because you all don't really know what Siloam means, which is by interpretation, sent. 
he went his way, therefore, and washed. Oh, and, oh, and it worked. He could see. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Imagine that. So this anointing, the clay, this eye salve, is washed in a pool that means sent. Well, y'all are in a church that studies the Bible. A lot of you know what a missionary is, don't you? He's one who is sent. So what have we been doing for the last six weeks? We have been trying to anoint your eyes with ISAV, Laodicean Church, and have you wash and understand that there's something about sending missionaries around the world with the gospel so that we don't have to live like the full solar eclipse and just block the light to all the people who need it. And that the sending of people out to get the gospel all around the world is literally what we need to be able to see what God is trying to show us. He gives us the description of history in the church age through Revelation 2 and 3. And Laodicea is the seventh. The word Laodicea means the rights of the people. What do you hear people arguing about every day on television? Civil rights, my rights, the rights of the people, the rights of animals, the rights of children. Everybody's got rights. And, you, and we should have human rights. I'm not trying to say we don't. But we're all about our rights and sort of forgot about, does God get any rights to anything? But the church of Laodicea comes on the heels of what was the greatest church age of all history, the church of Philadelphia. And you all know the word Philadelphia means brotherly love, right? So go back to Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 7 where it says to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? These, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. He knew our works. He knew their works. Behold, I have set before thee, Philadelphia, an open door. Ministry. A door of utterance. And no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word, the key, and not denied my name. The Philadelphian church period, roughly bracketed from about 1500 to about 1900 A.D., is the greatest missionary movement in all of human history. On October 31st of this year will be the 500th anniversary of what is marked as the day that kicked off the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther, the Roman Catholic monk, after reading the Bible and understood the truth of the Scriptures, flying in contrast to the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, wrote his 95 theses and pinned them on the wall of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And that is typically marked as the event that kicks off the Protestant Reformation, which then rolled into the ultimate movement of God taking his word all around this globe. 500 years celebrated this October. You know what? Jesus' counsel for ISAV has to have something to do with seeing the world as needing a gospel witness and people being sent to bring it to them. That's why we designed this series. I hope you could see it. I have some questions for you. What part of the world are you in?
Where do you live? Can I, can I help you? Can I encourage you? Don't overthink it. Don't concern yourself with, I'll never go to the Dominican Republic. I'll never go to Hungary. I'll never go to the Middle East. Okay, what are you doing here? What are we doing to make sure we don't block the light of the sun to the world that desperately needs it? Who cares if we never go to faraway lands? Let's do, listen, let's make our light shine brightly from right here. And if you're convicted like I often am convicted, maybe what you need is a second touch from Jesus Christ. Look with me in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22. We have another similar story. It says, He cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, it doesn't say anointed his eyes, but isn't that really the picture you're getting? He's once again anointing the eyes of this blind man. He asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him to look up. Lift up your eyes, look up, look on the fields, right? It says, and he was restored. What did he see this time? He saw every man clearly. You know, it's an interesting story, and we're not getting into it all today, and it's been covered before in this church, but in this situation, it's unusual because it's as though Jesus is healing. It kind of didn't take the first time. That's what it kind of looks like, doesn't it? Like he sort of healed him, and he, he saw men as just a little fuzzy, you know, can't see the forest for the trees. And then he touched him a second time, and instead of generally just seeing men, generally, oh, generally there's people out there that need the Lord, just generally they're out, of course they need the Lord. You get that second touch from the Lord, and you know what you can see? Every man clearly Every single man, woman, boy, and girl you come in contact with has a never-dying soul that will live somewhere forever. We don't always see that in Laodicea. And the only way we're ever going to get to see it, y'all, is if we ask the Lord for a second touch. You know, He touched your life. We sing songs, He touched me. He touched your life at salvation. He changed you. He cleaned you up. He helped you. He took your feet out of that miry clay and he set it on a solid rock. He did all those things he did and hallelujah. But somehow our eyes get cloudy. Somehow we forget. We need a second touch. That's the other question. Do you need a second touch from Jesus today? Proverbs 15, the, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart. Man, 23, 26, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes do what? Observe my ways. How do we go about doing this? Let's look at our last point. The investment, the investment of looking at the right things. So what would God have me to do next? Notice what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19. This is a very interesting statement by the Apostle Paul in the chapter that is the greatest chapter in all the Bible on the subject of the resurrection from the dead. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most joyful. Is that what he said? Most miserable. In other words, have you ever heard a brother or a sister very piously say, you know, even if there was no eternal life, walking with Jesus is just so wonderful. It's good enough just to walk with him now. Um, not according to Paul. Probably the greatest Christian who ever lived. He said, if all we get is what's in this life, that's, that's miserable. Because this life is still a battle with the flesh and the world and the devil. And if you all haven't figured it out yet, young folks, ask some of us that have lived a few more years. There's misery in this life. There's misery. You know why we do what we do? You know why we sacrifice and serve? You know why we do the things the Lord asks us to do that maybe we wouldn't prefer? Because there's another life. There's an eternal life that goes beyond this life. And the body can perish, and it's okay, but the soul's living forever. Paul understood it. So I want you to see, listen, listen, don't live your lives. Don't invest what you have available only in things of this life. Yes, we invest in some things for this life, of course. But man, you better be laying them up for the next. The next thing in your notes, earthly investments yield eternal rewards. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not investing in the things of the world. I'm talking about things we do now while we are on this earth can yield rewards that last forever. What are some of the things? The theme is sacrifice. What are some of the things? Well, in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God, here's where you start. You want to know where to start? Here's where you start. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise. Listen, don't try and make your checklist and say, well, I've done these things and so I guess I'm okay. If your heart is still filled with pride, if your heart is broken, you know what? The rest of it's just going to just play right out just fine. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. I love this. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Speaking of that life that is yet to come, listen, y'all, your eyes have never seen the things you're going to see. Your ears have never heard the things you're going to hear. And I'm going to tell you what, your heart can imagine a lot of amazing things. Just watch movies these days. People dream up some amazing things. Nothing to compare for the things God has prepared for you. If you love him, do you see that kind of as a conditional? Do you see how he said he prepared for those that love him? You say, I love the Lord. Well, I'm not here to challenge that. It's not, it's not my business. But you know that a lot of people say they love the Lord? Did you hear Jancy when he said that he thought he was a Christian just because he hung around Christians? Showed up at a church every once in a while? You know there's people like that all over? I mean, let me ask you a question. What if somebody did challenge that? What if God challenged it? What if he asked you if you could prove that you love the Lord in a court of law? Could you bring evidence, actual evidence, to prove 
that you love the Lord. I love the Lord. Who are you? I'm not. I'm nothing. But it's interesting. So in your notes, I said, how can we prove that we love him? You know, the Bible tells you how you can prove you love him. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. I'm going to read several verses. Just bear with me. 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, that's just an old word for to know, of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality or generosity. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. You know, Paul was the supported missionary that the churches of Macedonia typically Philippi, right, Thessalonica, that sacrificed in their poverty and begged Paul to take the gifts to help him in his ministry. That's what they literally, that's literally that was what was going on here. And, it's, and Paul even tried to stop. He's like, look, you guys are poor. You keep it. And he said, no, they begged us, please take the gift. Verse 5, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. That's always where it starts, right? You give of yourself. You serve the Lord first. Oh, and unto us by the will of God. Oh, I serve the Lord. How? Oh, well, I don't know. That's between me and God. Okay, whatever. Oh, are you serving others? Serve the Lord and serve others. That's all part of the package. Verse 6, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Verse 7, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love to us, Paul says, see that ye abound in this grace also. He's literally talking about sacrificing to support the ministry. That's what he's talking about. Then he says in verse 8, Hey man, don't get all heavy on me. I speak not by commandment. It's up to you. No guilt trip. Don't freak out. This is the Jeff modern version. I speak not by commandment. Relax. But by occasion of the forwardness of others. Oh, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Can you imagine that? I mean, I dream about weird stuff. I do. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you know, I'm an odd character. I think like, I read something like this and I'm like, what if I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and then all of a sudden there's like my checkbook ledger? You ever think of that? Prove the sincerity of your love, man. Isn't that what it says? There's just something about money, isn't there? Lord, I give you my life. How about my wallet? That's mine. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're from Laodicea. I forgot. You're rich and increased with goods. Isn't that interesting? You know what God's basically saying here? Money talks. Put your money where your mouth is. That's what he's saying. I know we don't like it. I don't like the way you're talking. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just reading. Well, let's just hear what Jesus has to say. I mean, who wants to listen to me? Matthew 6, 19. 
Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. You ever had stuff stolen out of your house? You leave a pit in your stomach? You just feel terrible. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Do you know you can lay up treasures? Look, you know how they say you can't take it with you when you die? You hear that? Never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, you know, that whole thing? You know what you can do? You can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. Nobody's stealing that. Verse 21. For where your treasure is first, there will your heart be also second. So in your notes, super simple. Your treasure leads your heart. You need to know this, church. Your treasure leads your heart. You ever talk to somebody about the things of the Lord and they're like, nah, I'm just not feeling it. Nah, I don't know. My heart's not in it. If my heart's not in it, yeah, I'm just not. Nah, my heart's not in it. This, oh, no, this is the way. Here, you young folks. How about this? I'm going to pretend like I'm young enough. All right. Man, it's not my passion, man. Well, why don't you fix your passion? I'm so sick of people following their stinking passions. The heart is desperately wicked and evil. Who can know it? Amen? Praise the Lord. Listen. Lead your heart. Hey, parents, lead your children, right? Lead your heart. Husbands, lead your wives, right? Lead your heart. He tells you how. I'm going to start getting, I'm going to start losing friends on Facebook. <laughs> Let me ask you, what are you investing in? We're talking about the investment. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. What are you investing in? You don't just invest money, you invest your time, right? How do you spend your extra free time? When you don't have to be at work, when you don't have to be doing the things you have to do. How do you spend your free time? Just playing and having fun, recreation? Do you spend your extra free time working more and more and more to make more and more so you can have more and more? How do you spend your time? How do you exercise your talents and your gifts and your abilities? You sending it ahead? Or are you just saying, I'm going to live it up? <laughs> well, we talk about the money, talk about the treasure, giving to the Great Commission, right? The Word of God and the souls of men. Man, we want to invest in that, don't we? You know, listen, you, you might think what I'm doing is self-serving. This is not it at, I promise you, only God can know my heart. The Great Commission factually is given to the church of Jesus Christ. The church is the vehicle ordained by God to carry out the mission of God. You want to send your treasures to help fulfill the Great Commission? You send, you invest your treasures in the church. That's what you do. It's the right, and if you, and that's why we offer things like Financial Peace University. Learn to manage your otherwise potentially poor spending habits so that you can faithfully participate in investing in eternal things. Amen? That's what we should do. We're here to help you. Let's wrap it up with this. The last thing in your notes. Faith is your blank. Faith is spiritual sight. It's not physical sight. It's the opposite of that, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight, meaning physical sight. If you can see it, you don't need faith. If you need faith, it's because you can't see it. 
but it is spiritual sight because Hebrews 11.27 says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, talking about Moses, for he endured, notice, as seeing him who is invisible. Moses behaved as though he could see God who is invisible. How? By faith. By faith. And please don't ever forget Hebrews 11.6. That's a verse you need to memorize. Without faith, it's really, really, really hard to please God. Impossible. Impossible. You need, friends, you need to put your life, you need to make decisions in the light that will force you to trust God just a little more than you're trusting Him today. That's faith. When you're exercising your faith, you are pleasing the Lord. Do you want to please the Lord? I do. I think you do too. Man, can you see, church, what God is trying to show you? Can you see it? Ever since the beginning of July, this has been the theme. Lift up your eyes and see what God is trying to show you. Anoint your blind eyes with eye salve and wash in the pool of Siloam and see the things God can and will use us to do. So I want you to just ask yourselves these questions I have in your bulletin. I want you to consider these things as I pray. I want you to consider them as we worship in the final song. I want you to consider them when you go home today and throughout the week. What has God shown you this summer? What does he want you to do about it? Because it's not just an interesting view. It's to affect your heart. It's to affect your soul. It's to change your life. What God is showing you may not be what he's showing me. What is God showing you that he wants you to do. Let's pray together.